Welcome to the District Podcast, brought to you by the Spectator World Edition. I'm contributing editor Chadwick Moore. Hey, remember coronavirus? Well, Russia invaded Ukraine and COVID-19, that thing which dominated our daily lives for the past two years, destroyed the global economy and fundamentally changed everything about how we live, is over in the blink of an eye. Mask up, get the jab, get four more jabs, jail the unvaccinated. Would you even know any of that happened now that little blue and yellow flags dominate social media bios? Everywhere you look, the official report now says cases are miraculously way down, deaths are way down, mask mandates and vaccine passports are going away. There are still 70 million people in America who haven't gotten the jab, but Joe Biden's pandemic of the unvaccinated is suddenly over. Since lockdowns began in 2020, Alex Berenson has been the top investigative journalist in the country looking into the hysteria, mismanagement, and overreaction of government leaders in response to the pandemic. That, of course, got him kicked off Twitter. Why wouldn't it? He's now suing Twitter over that. Good for him. And it got him slandered in mainstream media as a dangerous conspiracy theorist. But it turns out he was right all along, just like many of us were. The reaction from media entities didn't stop him. He's the author of the book, Pandemia, How Coronavirus Hysteria Took Over, gov- took over Our Government, Rights, and Lives. And you can also find him on Substack. Alex Berenson, thank you for coming on. You're the first person I wanted to ask about this. How have people in charge gotten away so brazenly with switching topics? And did you foresee it happening so quickly and in this way? I mean, I, I did think that there would be a move to, um, to, 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 to walk away from this. I didn't necessarily think there, there would be a move to run away from it, but a couple of things happened. Uh, you know, the, the, the polling numbers got terrible. The failure of the vaccines to do anything about Omicron became too obvious uh, to ignore because, you know, people got vaccinated and they got boosted and then they got Omicron. And so, uh, it, you know, it sort of became impossible to argue that the vaccines were doing any good. And that left the policymakers with no real measures because there, there is going to be another wave of coronavirus at some point, probably, you know, probably over the summer in the South, because that's happened the last couple of years. Who knows when it will hit, you know, the West Coast or the North. Uh, or the Northeast. And so when that happens, there's going to be nothing that these people can tell you to do. Um, and so they, they, want, uh, they want it to be in the rearview mirror before that happens. And then, of course, Ukraine happened. And look, Ukraine, uh, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a, is a tragedy and a global crisis. And, and I'm not in the camp, you know, and I know there are sort of, I have these paranoid followers on Substack, some of them who think, oh, you know, this is all an effort just to change the channel. I think, I think, I think it is an effort to change the channel, but it's not being done for that reason, right? Vladimir Putin is doing this for his own purposes. Um, and it is a war and it is a war on European you know, soil and it is very important. And so it's natural that there's this interest in, you know, interest in this. And so uh, that's made it easier for this to happen. But it would be happening anyway without the Ukraine and Russia. There, we'd be talking about inflation or... Um, Iran or the or you know or January sixth the the, the 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 people in the media who've been wrong about this for two years would be changing the channel. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And this sort of was maybe a blessing to because it is such a huge 
deal what's happening in Ukraine right now and in Europe that it kind of did the work for them to just immediately, everyone was getting tired of coronavirus. It's a real force. No, it's, it's unarguably Right, of course. Um, well, no, so you mentioned the next wave coming. And now, are we going to see the authorities then telling us to get boosted and all this other stuff? You've had a lot to say about the booster shot in particular. You've called it extremely, da- not just unhelpful, but extremely dangerous. Uh, uh, can do you think do, do you can you explain that first of all why you believe that and are are the boosters going to get better are we going to see people uh, still pushing these when the next wave comes sure I, I don't like call it extremely dangerous it is it is provably useless against omicron and there's a risk to it so so what's happened is that the virus has mutated and it's mutated away from the vaccine so if you're naturally infected with the coronavirus, whether it's the original strain or Delta or, or Omicron, you're exposed to the entire coronavirus and your body um, responds to the entire coronavirus. And then over time, that response deepens and you actually get better at making antibodies against the coronavirus. And, you're, and, and you have T cells, um, which are a different part of the immune response, and those also uh, become more powerful against the virus. When you're exposed to the vaccine, your body produces a very specific and small part of the virus. And that part is called the spike protein. And so then your body makes antibodies only to that, to the spike protein and only to the version of the spike protein that was present two years ago, which is not the version that's present on Omicron. And so it's very clear, unfortunately, that the antibodies that your body makes to the, to the original spike protein are not optimized against Omicron. And so roughly, there's roughly no protection from infection or transmission to, for, that vaccination provides against Omicron within a few weeks after your, um, your vaccination. And, that, and the booster um, does not change that. So, so, you, so you produce a ton of antibodies early on and then those antibodies wane. And as soon as they go down to, you know, not, they, they drop pretty rapidly. And within a few weeks of, of, of that second shot, they're not really doing you very much good against infection and transmission. Now, the people who like vaccines will say, eh, maybe that's true with Omicron, but we still see some benefit against hospitalization and death. And, and I would argue that actually you really don't know if that's true for a bunch of complicated epidemiological reasons and immunal and immune immunological reasons. So, so, but mainly epidemiological. So, so when I say, look, here, here's the thing. We did an experiment with the vaccines. Okay. We experimented with a type of vaccine that had never existed before. It's not even really a vaccine. That's clear now. It's a, it's a therapeutic, um, meaning it doesn't have real long-term benefit against infection and transmission. And, and it doesn't seem to cause the same kind of immunological changes that a real, quote-unquote, real older vaccine does. We did that on the basis of very, very limited clinical trial data. Now, I, I got to say, like, when I say this, people say, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. And, you know, he probably thinks that this is, you know, they cause 5G or you know, cause, you know, they, they cause population. Like, they make magnets stick to your, you know, forehead. They make your you know, your left leg fall off. No, I don't believe any of those things. I, if anything, like I tend to explain this in a way that's more complicated than it should be. And I tend to sometimes, you know, like 
my readers don't always like necessarily, some of them say like, you're, you're, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not a scientist. I don't really get what you're saying, but this is complex. The simple takeaway is this. This virus is not that dangerous to most people who get it. Not Now, obviously, it can, it's killed a lot of people. It's killed a lot of older people, and it's killed a lot of people in the United States who are morbidly obese and who are otherwise very unhealthy. And unfortunately, we have a lot of those people in the United States. But it's not that dangerous to most healthy people. It's certainly not dangerous to people under 30. Certainly not dangerous to children if, you know, if, they're, if they're healthy at all. And I don't mean like running marathons. I mean of average health. And we gave them all these people a vaccine. We forced it upon them based on clinical trial data that was far less complete than people understand. And now we have a lot of that data coming out that, that Pfizer wanted to keep hidden for 75 years, I believe. But we, we yeah, we, but, and we'll see what's, what's in that. I think six pages got released and many more to come. Um, so now that we're mentioning that, the, the, the numbers are starting to come out. Actually, the numbers have always been there, but mainstream media health organizations are finally starting to acknowledge some of these numbers that you reference. We have, for example, in the UK, the UK in September 2021 said that 137,000 people had died, uh, had been counted as COVID deaths. This was people who had died within 28 days of a positive test. Well, we now have those numbers adjusted and it's looking like throughout the entirety of the pandemic, it was about 17,000 people, not 137,000, who died of COVID, not with COVID, with uh, no comorbidities or very few comorbidities. And of course, the United States here, we have uh, something like only 6% of uh, COVID, uh, uh, 6% of the total COVID deaths uh, uh, were only because of COVID. The remaining 94% had an average of 2.6 comorbidities. This is stuff we knew all along. And and the government knew this all along. This isn't This wasn't necessarily hidden only now are they, but, but still the governments and, and health organizations went through with all of this destruction, knowing that what you had just stated, it's not that dangerous for healthy young people. Uh, and and we, everyone always agreed, protect the vulnerable. Why did they do this if, if they knew this all along? Well, so, I mean, here's the thing. Again, this gets a little tricky. The numbers you're quoting are correct. But just because you, you know, you had heart disease and you died of COVID doesn't mean the COVID didn't kill you, right? Or, um, you know, or, or lung disease. So, so there's a group of people out there, and I think it's probably 20 or 30% of the people in the COVID data um, who really didn't die of COVID. They, di- they, died, they died with COVID, right? They were very sick. They, you know, they, they had cancer late stage or they, you know, they, they, they were on dialysis and they were weeks from dying and they got COVID and they died. It, or, or, they, or they were, you know, 95 years old and they went through the nursing home and they didn't wake up. Okay. The, those people did not die of COVID. Okay. They died with COVID. But there's this much larger group of people in the middle who are just unfortunately profoundly unhealthy people, but didn't, but wouldn't have died tomorrow or next week. They might have died next year or in two years. You know, you weigh 400 pounds. You already had a heart attack. COVID, there's a pretty good chance if you get COVID, it's going to kill you. Okay. But and maybe you wouldn't have died until, you know, 2025, but you were not a healthy person. So so in their effort to protect those people, health authorities, and it was very clear from if not from February 2020, certainly from April 2020, that this was who was really sick Um, in their effort to protect those people. 
health authorities in the U.S. and U.K. and everywhere else in sort of Europe made a decision, a conscious decision, that they were not going to tell the truth about who was really at risk. That the only way to sort of ensure societal compliance with the lockdown measures was to uh, was to lock. Okay, and, and it's and they discuss this openly. Okay, there's 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 discussions in the UK that have become public, and I'm sure that there is similar language because we've seen this coordination, you know, across the United States and Europe, um, uh, in the US that we just haven't seen yet. And so they decided we are going to lie about this We're, and lie. You know, you want to say they didn't lie, they misled, or they, they they chose to highlight the worst, you know, outlier cases. You can talk about it however you want. They scared a lot of people who really didn't have reason to be scared. And the media was more than complicit in this. The media aggressively pushed it. And, there was, and, and, and to give them the benefit of the doubt, which I, which I don't really believe they deserve, but if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, what you're going to say is, look, they believed that this would help, you know, sort of spare a lot of people who were pretty sick and they had to do it. And then eventually we get to a vaccine and the vaccine would end the epidemic. That the lockdowns were a bridge that, you know, maybe it'd be a year of pain or nine months of pain. But at the end of 2020, we, we got to these vaccines and the vaccines were going to work great and solve the problem. Well, unfortunately, and this is the real reason, again, that they have to run from this. It's not just that the lockdowns and the school closures and the masks and all that stuff all failed. It's that that bridge went nowhere because the vaccines didn't work either in the way that they were promised to work. If the vaccines, I mean, here's all you need to know about the vaccines. In countries in Europe, I mean, in the U.S., there's pretty high levels of vaccine coverage. In Europe, it's off the charts, okay? It's a level that you really couldn't have imagined at the beginning of 2020 that these countries would be able to convince, you know, 90 plus percent of eligible adults to get vaccinated. And they still have constant COVID outbreaks and many COVID deaths. If the vaccines worked as promised, that would not be the case. So, so that's what the, that's what they did. They, they lied. They decided to lie very early on. And and you want to call it a noble lie? I don't think lying to people is when your government official really is ever noble. But it didn't work. Yeah, I might be willing to to also give the benefit of the doubt, like you said, that they did truly intend to. They thought the lying would save lives. The only way to save lives would be to lie to scare people further. And of course, these are people who either work in Washington or have spent their whole entire lives staring down microscopes. They don't understand what it's like to own a business or have a, a, a working, uh, you know, th- things like that on a restaurant. They, 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 they get paid by tax dollars. Yeah. And this and this empowers them further. Was there an incentive to get the COVID numbers up, especially through the hospitals, by giving money for COVID diagnoses and admitting a COVID patient, use of certain drugs, uh, giving money for COVID deaths, giving money for mechanical ventilators. Was there an incentive to make the pandemic scarier than it actually was? I, I mean, I think broadly the answer to that question is yes. Um, and, you know, we can argue about, you know, the details of the 20% bonus reimbursement that Medicare gave or argue about whether giving people $9,000 for a funeral that's COVID related is a good idea. I mean, why, you know, why is a COVID death, uh, you know, deserving of extra money to another, you know, to a non-COVID death, um, you know, or, or uh, you know, certainly the vaccines, there was this brief moment in 2020 when, oh, the vaccines, the drug makers aren't doing this for money, they're doing it for the good of humanity, and, and everyone's going to see that. And, you know, that went out the window once the companies realized how much money they could make. Um, so, I mean, 
COVID has been a boondoggle. Okay, the, the, the U.S. healthcare system is very, uh, for lack of a better word, very unhealthy. Okay, and it's very, very profit-driven in a dangerous way. We spend far more than other countries. Our outcomes on a broad societal basis are not just no better; they're worse. There's something wrong with the way we're doing healthcare in the United States. There's many things wrong, and a lot of those things have to do with with profit. Um, and you know, and the profit motives at every part of the system. Now, now I don't know how you fix it. Okay, I don't, but I know it's a problem, and I know that COVID both exposed and worsened. What do you think is going to be the most long-lasting negative impact of all of this? You know, a lot oh, of people well, talk it's about it's on children, children and young adults. And, you know, and and those you know kids. It's not just that they lost a year of school. It's not just that you know young people. Uh, uh, you know, who just started work, you know, got, lost their jobs and were stuck at home for a year. It's not, it's not that. But to me, and this is actually still happening, and I've got to write something about this. I'm working on a short piece about it right now for, for my Substack. Um, parents and older people behaved excrably. Okay. They made it clear that their fear of COVID and of death was more important than the future and, you know, and their children. And you're still seeing this with some, with some kids, in, you know, in, in blue states, okay, especially. You're seeing parents who are still making their kids wear masks or get tested, you know, once a week or, uh, or can't have play dates or aren't getting on a plane or aren't going to stores or restaurants and, and aren't living in any normal way. And, it's, and, you know, the level of anxiety in some of these in some of these kids and young adults is off the charts and you know we are we are the statistics are starting to pick up on it but i think it's only going to get worse you know there's going to i think there's going to be a true mental health crisis you know of anxiety and of you know and of and of you know suicidality in in young people and we need to look there's a lot that i would do differently in my own family in my own life um but one thing that I'm proud of in the last two years is I discouraged, and my wife too, we discouraged our kids from being scared of this. That's because, it was, because they shouldn't be scared. It shouldn't be scary to them. And, and our kids have gotten through this thing, I think, pretty unscathed. And, and, I'm, and I'm proud of that. And, and, but, you know, other, other parents, you need to stop. You need to stop trying to frighten your kids about COVID. And I don't care if you have a nine-year-old, you know, great-grandparent or you know, your, your second cousin has chronic fatigue syndrome and you're worried what's going to happen if they get long COVID. Stop scaring your kids. You have your responsibility first and foremost is to your children, I think. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Very well said. Do you see any, any hope, any, any good that could have come out of this? Suppose this were to happen again, that do you have faith that the powers that be wouldn't make the same mistakes that they would learn? Maybe lockdowns don't work and maybe give the vaccines a little more time or I, I think I don't think they've learned, but I think there's a lot of people. I think there will be people on the streets if they try to lock down again. I, I hope. I mean, you never know, right? I, I think that you know. I think I think you see from you know sort of the Bill Gateses of the world and the Fauci's of the world that they have not given up on the idea of a pan coronavirus vaccine or uh, you know um, uh, vaccine mandates for the for these ridiculous mRNA shots. Um, you know, that, that they that they haven't given up on the idea of early lockdown, some of them. But I, I think a lot more people will be skeptical. Now, I mean, 
you know, it, when it happens again, there'll be some story about why this time, you know, it's worse or this time it's real. And God forbid it is actually worse because no one's going to believe them. Um, I mean, I do. One of the emails that I got that has you know, stuck with me the most in the last two years was from a leader not that long ago. And he said, he said, you know, I used to think love and hate were the two most powerful emotions. And I was wrong. It's fear. And, you know, when you, and he's right. You know, when you, when you frighten people, you can get them to do almost anything for you. And so that's what they did. They frightened people. And I do think people will be more skeptical. But whether or not they'll wind up frightened again, I don't know. Very well put. Alex Berenson, check out his book, Pandemia. Find him on Substack. We will certainly be following your lawsuit against Twitter. Best of luck to you for that. Uh, with that, rather. And uh, thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available. We'll be right back.